0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the history of Cologne. I'm really so glad that you tuned in and I know how important the first episode of a podcast is to get the listener to get hooked up to your show. This episode could have been called episode zero. It's because we will dive into the prehistory of Cologne. This means no written record or writing system was found during that period. And just a warning, if you want to jump in with the fun of founding Cologne around the year 1 BCE directly, you should rather skip this episode. You'll miss nothing, and we get right to the Roman general and politician Gaius Julius Caesar, who gets to the area in around 50 BCE. But since I'm a bit of a history nerd, you know, I make a podcast, I couldn't help but dedicate one episode to the prehistoric roots of Cologne, Since I myself didn't know much about prehistoric Cologne, I was surprised at my research revealed, which is actually pretty great because it shows that there's always something you can learn. So if you're interested in archaeology and geography, you can stick around now. To all the other listeners, I see you in the next episode with Caesar. But first, where is Cologne located? Cologne is in the Cologne lowland. I know this doesn't help much for those who don't know where Cologne exactly is. But that's the name of the region, after all. So let me give you a mental roadmap. Paris, for example, is three hours away by train in the west, Berlin four and a half hours in the east, and London to the northwest, can be reached by plane 90 minutes because you can't just walk over water. Well, one man could, but that's not us, I guess. Today Cologne is situated in the western part of Germany. The borders of Belgium and the Netherlands are just 50 comments away. Pretty good connections, right? In German we call the Cologne Lowland the Kölner Bucht, which means Cologne Bite, And Bite is what it really looks like from an aerial perspective in my opinion. Cologne is surrounded by hills and low mountains in the east across the Rhine, to the south, and the southwest. And I will skip all the names of those hills and mountains because it would be a bit overwhelming, even I don't know all of them without reading them off a paper. But all of this means that to the northwest, the lowlands of the Rhine are open like a big version of the letter V, if you know what I mean. If not, look on my homepage, the historyofcologne.wordpress.com. I have a nice aerial view picture from out of space where I have made that a letter V on a map. You will see what I mean, sorry. The soil here in this region is very fertile and the geography as mentioned above creates a warmer climate in comparison to other regions in Germany or central Europe total. Clouds passing through an area from the north often get caught here on their way south or east. This means that there are more rainy days in Cologne than even in London, which is regarded as a very rainy city. But enough with geography, I'm really no expert in this field. But let us summarize, Cologne is in the lowlands, where it is comparatively warmer, it has fertile soil and enough rain, and mountains in the east, the south and the southwest, that serve as a natural barrier. Now off to the real stuff, the prehistoric history of Cologne, which, (laughs) prehistoric site more precisely. So how was life in prehistoric Cologne? I'm talking of a period from 100,000 to 6,000 years BCE, The Stone Age up until the Copper Age. This is an enormous time span of 94,000 years. This number just blows my mind when I think about it. And as you might know, a city is a place with a very specific location. But people in the prehistoric times, they weren't settled at all. For 10,000 of years, most of the time of human history in total, humans would roam around their little groups and harvest from what mother nature gave them. Or they would just follow a herd of animals. The area around Cologne was an ideal place to hunt, fish, collect, wild fruits and nuts especially because of its geography as described. And sadly and obviously we have hardly any remains of that era. The material that was used back then was not meant to last several millennia. Flesh rotted away. Wooden tools decayed and bones of course decomposed. The only things that are left are arrowheads made from stone or things like that. This went on until the mid of the 6th millennium BCE, so 8000 years from today. Then the biggest revolution in the history of mankind erupted and I am not exaggerating here. This is the new stone age. Humans suddenly started building houses, cleared woodland and cultivated crops. And most importantly, they settled down. I could go on about the reasons why this happened and what it meant for the human race, but this is another topic that is well discussed in other places and not here. The Cologne Lowland was a good place to just do all of those things I just listed. The Linear Pottery Culture from the 6th millennium BCE is the oldest culture of humans we know of that first started building settlements in Europe. Linear Potter. Harry Potter? What? 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 What's that? Linear Pottery Culture? You might ask? Yes, these first settlers that were also the first farmers of Europe are mostly unknown to a general public today. The Linear Pottery Culture didn't leave any written records behind. It would take more than 5000 years until a writing system would be established in this region. Because of the lack of any written records, the Linear Pottery Culture got their name by what was most remarkable about them their distinctive decoration technique of linear bands on their pottery that has been found in their settlements and their graves. So how come we can tell things about prehistoric Cologne if evidence is found anyhow but easy? In 1929 CE, nearly 6500 years later, workers in the western district of Cologne were tasked to do some field work. They were involved in the big city project after World War I, To ensure that the growing city still had a green belt between the inner and the outer core. Just like Central Park in New York, in Manhattan. Their job was to dig, plant trees and create lakes. In doing this, they found a settlement of the linear pottery culture. What happened next was remarkable, remember 1929 was the beginning of the Great Depression not only in America but in the whole western world, and especially Germany that deeply re- relied on American money at that time to pay their debts from World War I, was hit hard by it. But 100 unemployed men were tasked by the city. With nothing but their hands and some hand tools, they carefully excavated the settlement. 40,000 square meters were examined in the next five years, and I'm sorry if you're an American listener, I have no idea how much 40,000 square meters are in square feet, just think of yards that is, I think, very similar. Like... 45,000 square yards? I don't know. And this excavation was a very important find for the study of the new Stone Age in Europe. 16 different building phases were discovered in that place that spanned over a period of 400 years in the 6th millennium BCE. Each building phase consisted of just a few homesteads that were always built on top of the older ones that had been there before. A typical homestead was usually 40 meters long and then 10 meters wide. The scaffold was made from wooden posts, the walls consisted of rods and clay and were painted with lime paint. The homesteads were used as a residence and as a warehouse as well. So since 1929 there are 5 similar places like this that have been found in Cologne or around it. These are the oldest pieces of evidence of humans permanently living here in Cologne or the region. Unfortunately from 3500 to 2800 BCE, we have no secured findings at all. It is obvious that humans lived in such a beneficial environment like the Cologne lowland. But archaeologists just haven't found any proof yet. If there was any proof out there that still could be found, you know. From 2800 BCE on, there are discoveries of other cultures that settled in this area. They too were called after their most standing out crafts like the beaker culture. Oh, Cersei Lannister would have sure liked their beautiful beakers. They also did grain cultivation and livestock farming. So now we are coming to the Bronze Age and I hope I pronounce bronze the right way in English. Life in the Cologne Lowland would change again extensively, around 1500 years and we are now in the Late Bronze Age. Humans in this area were introduced with metal processing. And you might have guessed it from the name, bronze was the metal that was processed. Bronze made tools were more efficient than stone or wood tools could ever be. With that, more forests could be cut down, more fields could be plowed and more grain could be harvested. This of course led to a bigger population of humans. Bronze is an alloy consisting of copper and tin. There is no place in Europe where both materials were located in close distance. This meant that the cultures of the Bronze Age had to travel on trade and they really did it extensively. It is without doubt the first wave of globalism in a very, very small uh, category. Tin from Cornwall was smelted with copper from the Alps. Glass pearls from Egypt were found in Danish tombs. Amber from Northern Europe was a bestseller for the more advanced cultures in the Mediterranean. And to clear up an old Preconception. It is true that in the second millennia BCE, the cultures of Mesopotamia and the Middle East, Egypt, and the early Greek culture of the Minoans were far developed. That water drainage systems, multi-story homes, calendars, and early forms of a writing system. But this did not just happen because they were more intelligent than the humans in continental Europe, who didn't have all of that above and just lived in little wooden shacks. But the regions of greece egypt and mesopotamia didn't have a lot of fertile soil and the climate was harsh in comparison egypt for example is wide and big but life was and i think is only possible close to the nile river and its delta these cultures had to be organized better and more efficient than their european trade partners to survive the cologne lowland for example had enough fertile land for everyone So there was just no need for a complex organization, built multi-story homes, or having the need to invent a writing system. Everyone could just live their life as they wanted in this region. There was plenty of space for everyone. This statement is in no way an attempt to ignore the accomplishments that were made by the Minoans or the Egyptians. It just means that there were other circumstances they had to face than the cultures in Central Europe. And it is a proven fact that the continental European cultures had artistic abilities. An example is the so-called Nibra Sky Disc found in Germany. It is a bronze and gold artwork of the cosmos, weighing two kilograms and being 30 centimeters wide. If you have actually no idea of what I'm talking about, look that Nibra Sky Disc up. It's really amazing. So after the Bronze Age, we are now slowly approaching the period before the Cologne lowland gets drawn into the ancient world. More precisely we are talking about the Iron Age, the time span of 1200 to 200 BCE. Next to Bronze, Iron was also being processed, that proved to be even more efficient. Humans in this area lived in scattered settlements where they did grain and livestock farming. Most of the primeval forests were already cut down for farmland, Commercial forests for gaining lumber were established in that period. Central locations were usually fortified by a palisade and a trench. A settlement like this was discovered in 1988 to 1992 in the northern district of Cologne on the left Rhinebeck. Settlements with palisades and trenches give us a clue that life in the Cologne lowland before the Romans was not mm, the safest place to be. Tribes would attack each other and raid and pillage settlements of their enemies. An improved and increased production of iron and bronze tools meant that there was also the opportunity to produce a lot of weapons. Seems like every technological advancement has a downside since the beginning of time. So that's it for the beginning. Now you have a better picture about prehistoric Cologne. This episode might have been a rather theoretical one without super exciting stories or battles or other stuff historians fancy about but it nonetheless contributes to the rest of this podcast and to the history of the city of Cologne. Especially historians know that history develops from certain circumstances. It just doesn't happen out of nowhere. So this episode helps us to keep in mind that Cologne didn't just appear out of nowhere, but is the result of a lot of development. If you think about this, this episode already covered 99% of the time span of human life in this area, because now we just have 2000 years left, and we already have covered over 100,000 years here. But this is of course only because of the lack of source material. So let's get here to an end. Life in the Cologne Lowland would continue as it had for hundreds of years. The people in this area would farm in tribal communities. Often there would be victims of raids of other tribes or even be the ones raiding their neighbors for food material and yes, slaves too. And it is the story about two local tribes of the area, the Ubi and the Eberrons in 50 BCE. When a third power came into this region that had, had never been here before, there was one man to settle it all. And his name was Gaius Julius Caesar and we will get to him. In the next episode. So thank you very much for tuning in. I hope this makes you hungry for more episodes because now we get really into the real history of Cologne and not theoretical geography, water thing stuff. You can already listen to the next episode because I've pre-recorded it so go and listen to the episode about Caesar. Thank you for listening and as always in the future Auf Wiedersehen!